Turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'm about to turn this off. So don't think you can text me and mess me up. However, it does operate as my clock. So we have an hour to get... No, I'm just kidding. All right. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, that's just what mine says. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. Or one translation says, sound no diggery do before you. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. One of the interesting words in this passage is the word hypocrite. And I honestly think, I'd have to double check this, and you could probably Google it real fast and figure it out. I honestly think Jesus is the only person to use it. When it comes to the Bible, I'm pretty sure Jesus was the only person who said, don't be a hypocrite. It's like he was the only person who had the ability to confidently say to others, stop playing. He said it about this issue, and he said it about prayer. He said, listen, don't be a pretender. Don't let everything that you do for others, don't make it a show. Don't make it something that everybody else sees. Don't, don't like play music for yourself. Don't do any of that kind of stuff. But rather, whatever you do, when you're practicing following me, and then he gets specifically into giving to the poor. He's like, listen, just do it. Just do the things I've called you to do. And don't make a big deal about it. Just walk around in confident obedience, knowing that you're following my teachings and move forward. A hypocrite, the word in the Greek comes from the word actor. Jesus was saying, don't play. There was a large uh, actor studio, if you will, a large training ground for actors near the town where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. It was one of the only ones in this part of the world. And those actors were called, we would look at them and say it would actually be nice to call them hypocrites. Instead of actor, actress, that's what they were called. And Jesus was saying, don't be like that. Now, who's he talking to? It's really interesting, and and you may have gone over some of this over the last several weeks, but I, I just want to recap. Because when I think about the Sermon on the Mount, one of the things that really changed it for me was the opportunity to stand where we believe Jesus stood as he gave this. A few years ago, on my birthday, I was on the Sea of Galilee. It was this really amazing thing. And I was up on this hill, and I was with a friend who knows the area really well. And, and we were actually, uh, he's the kind of guy that like goes behind all the fences that say, don't go behind the fence. And so that's where we were, which was fun. And, uh, and so we're next to this Catholic diggery-do, the synagogue, and, uh, that was closed. And so we were standing next to it. And one of the interesting things about this area is that scientists have actually been at this place and you can just talk. And the hill below forms this odd kind of giant cereal bowl. And really you could sit there in the grass and you could talk in a normal voice or even project just a little and thousands of people could hear you. 
it really is amazing. I mean, they've been able to go back and, and prove it. Like people said, how could all these people have heard Jesus? Well, he was probably standing there. It's this amazing thing. Another thing about the Sea of Galilee is this. It's beautiful. It's not very big, but it's very diverse. The towns around it are very diverse. And so up to my right, there's a city that sits up on a hill, probably the high, one of the highest points for a village around the Sea of Galilee. And at night when the lights are on, you cannot hide it. In fact, one time when Jesus said we should be a, a, like a city set on a hill that cannot be hid, everybody would have thought of that village. If you go to one part of the Sea of Galilee, it's really easy to grow crops. It's really easy to do farming, which is what most people there did. Other, it's, a, it's a big fishing area, which fishing was was good work, but it was hard work, and you weren't necessarily going to advance yourself way up in the world, but it was something that had to be done. There are other parts of the Sea of Galilee where the people there, honestly, village to village, were pretty poor. And so it's this giant lake with this very eclectic group of people all around it. The town that Jesus actually had a home in is called Capernaum. He had a home there while he was an adult from the age of 30 to about 33. He didn't stay there very much, but he, he had a home there. He had people at least that he stayed with, and he referred to it as home. It was a major trade route. Like the entire world seemingly came through this town. I mean, people would come through this town to go back to Asia, to go back to different parts of the world, to Europe and so on. And so there are a ton of different people listening to Jesus. Why is this important? Because I'm I'm looking in this room. And just in this room, there are a ton of different people. I mean, you all like different things. I mean, everybody likes Bieber, but nobody talks about it. You all, I'm just kidding. The, uh, you, some of you like country music, and we'll pray for you after we torture you. You've been torturing us for years. Why, the, uh, some of you like hip-hop. Some of you, um, really, you know what? You don't really know what music you like. Some of you shop at a certain store, it's like the only thing you will wear. Some of you just, you go to a thrift store, you don't care where you get it. Some of you get, are still getting hand-me-downs from older siblings. Some of you live in neighborhoods that other people would drive by and go, oh, that means you've arrived. Others of you don't invite friends to your home because you don't want them to see where you live. We have every different group in this room. And let me, let me say this. This is who Jesus is talking to. He's got a whole different group of people. And he says, listen, what I'm about to talk about is for all of you. I know that you're different. But this is something, if you want to be my disciple, this is something that every single one of you can do. He's not ever talking to just a select group of people. See, I know when I'm speaking in front of a group of people. I know that there are some people in the room that probably, they really resonate with me. They, they're just clicking. I can say, I can be really sarcastic. I've got a really dry sense of humor and they know it. They're laughing with me. And other people are looking at me going, dude, I hope the next guy's better than this. I know that that worked. As a communicator, I know that those things are happening. But Jesus had this ability to speak to everybody and to teach them things that applied to everybody. And more than that, he was saying, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, this is for you. This is for all of you. And so he's talking about giving to the poor. There are some people listening to him 
who are dirt poor. There are some people listening to him who are like, seriously? I mean, I would really like for somebody to give me something right now. I haven't eaten in a couple days. But Jesus is giving these truths and he's saying these apply to everybody. He says, when you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. But this is something that everybody, all of these principles in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, this is something that applies to absolutely everybody. There's quite a history of giving to the poor. If you go back to the book of Deuteronomy, just one, just one section that gives you a little bit of background. The, the writer says this, Moses says, If among you one of your brothers should become poor, if any of your towns within your land that the Lord God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against your poor brother or that town, but you should open your hand to him and lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it may be. You've got to understand, Jesus is talking to a group of people who think very specifically about the first five books of the Bible. And so when Jesus said, give to the poor, they would go back to one of those books. But they had other writings too. They had several things that King David had written and that Solomon had written. We'll get to a couple of those in a second. In Leviticus 19, if you were to turn there in your Bible, Leviticus 19.9, and maybe in your group time, you can go to this passage. There's a heading that says, love your neighbor. And here's what it says. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land... You shall not reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. Don't strip your vineyard bare. Neither are you to gather fallen grapes from your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the traveler. I am the Lord your God. From back in the book of Leviticus, they had this principle of everybody leave edges Leave crops on the edges of your field. In other words, all the work that you've done, all the stuff that you have prepared for, it's not just for you. Get what you need, get what your family needs, but make sure you always leave a little room on the edge. He's not talking about giving to the church. He's not talking about, maybe some of you have heard the word tithing, this idea of giving 10% of your income back to the church. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a whole other segment of your life. Whatever resources you have, leave some room for others. I wonder how many of you know what it really means to be poor. When I was five years old, my parents divorced. I love my parents. I love my dad. I love my mom. But they made some dumb choices. And some of you are in that boat. In fact, if statistics are about right, probably about half of you are in that boat. And my mom, when my parents divorced in 1980, my mom went to work for $3 an hour. And there's this thing called child support that my dad was supposed to do and didn't, at least didn't in a consistent way. Now, it's hard to be 35 now, and I get different sides of this story. And so I don't know everything that went down, but I know that for a time, my mom really knew what it felt like to be poor. I know that for a time, spam was not a joke at a grocery store. It was for real. It was on every sandwich. It was all we could do. 
hot dog. I mean, I knew I could tell you what the meals were going to be. There wasn't a lot of nutrition going on. It was just survival. There's a season. Sometimes some of you know what that's like. I have been in some of the most poor places in the world. I've been in Cuba where because of a dictator over 50 years ago, who's still in power, that whole place is like just stopped living. And there are areas of that country that are completely desolate and broken. I've been in a country in West Africa called Burkina Faso. My first trip to Burkina Faso, I've got a lot of Africa stories. Some of you know that about me. But my first trip to Burkina Faso, we were in this little village and we were putting a roof on a building that the village had built to make their church. It was, um, it was made out of a brick, a very kind of a, a porous brick, almost like a limestone. But they had worked and saved as a village out in the bush of Africa. And they had built this building on their own. And we were coming in with tin for a roof because they couldn't afford that. Tin and steel and things that help hold all that in place. They didn't have the money for that. That would have taken too long to save. And so I was with a team and we went up and, and we started putting these tins on this roof to just cover it. And we had nails and, you know, I'm not very handy. And so they gave me a job for the not handy guy, which was basically to pull the nails out of the box and, uh, and to kind of get them ready for the guys and things like that. And as I would empty a box, I began to notice something. Kids coming, ripping up the box and handing it to one another so they could eat it. Cardboard. They just wanted to eat something. That was on my first trip. You can tell it changed me. That's why I've been back so many times since. Because I've never seen poverty like this. And everybody that Jesus is talking to could relate on some level to knowing that there are people around me who need what I've got. Everybody could share a little. Everybody could do their part and be a part of something bigger than themselves. It goes back in their history. They were commanded to do it. Jesus is reiterating it. There were promises for doing it. Psalm 41, it says, Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers them. Proverbs 14 says, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. In other words, anybody that looks at their neighbor and says, I'm better than you. You know what? I've got more stuff than you. I'm cooler than you. Anybody who looks at them that way, God says, that's no good. But blessed are you if you're generous to the poor, generous with what you have. Because of all of these teachings on giving to the poor, some of them that Jesus is reiterating now, there got to be this kind of system of giving. And maybe you've heard of it before. Maybe you've seen it in movies. It was really made popular kind of in the Middle Ages. But there was this system called giving alms. It's something that happened all the time. Maybe you've heard the phrase alms for the poor. You've read it in a history book or seen it in a movie or something. But it started way back, way back before the time of Christ, really back in the Old Testament days. And it's been adopted by a lot of different religions. You hear about Buddhism doing this and Hinduism and, and the Muslims have a, have a very strong population, a very strong belief on giving to the poor. The reason that they give is this, because they see it as a requirement. If I don't do it, I will be severely punished. And giving in the culture that Jesus is talking about has been fairly private. 
But during this day, during the time that Jesus was walking the earth in the first century, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, you hear them talked about, the Sadducees, they had kind of changed things in the recent time and it had become a very public thing. And so you've got all of these world religions, you've got all of these people, they're listening, they're thinking, give to the poor, so that means I'm supposed to go and and parade this in front of others. And Jesus is not saying that at all. In fact, he's saying, listen, I want you to do this, but I don't want you to tell anybody about it. Because what have we been learning about? Jesus was trying to move past, trying to get everybody listening to him. And we want you guys to move past this or don't adopt this. Move past the idea of ritualistic acts of righteousness. Jesus was trying to move past all that and he was trying to get to their heart. He was trying to get past all of the extra fanfare and he was trying to get to the heart. He's saying, listen, don't, don't parade your money around. In Luke chapter 11, he's talking directly to some of these Pharisees and he says to them, You Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup of the dish. He says, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. He says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give your alms from those things that are within you and behold, everything will be clean for you. Listen, Jesus is talking to these guys. He's saying, I know how you give. He's saying, you're trying to make yourself look good. And this isn't just about money. You're trying to make yourself look good to everybody else. You're trying to make everybody else think you have it together. But on the inside, you're a hypocrite. On the inside, you're just playing. On the inside, there's not a lot going on. Your heart has not really been changed. And he would go on and say, you know what you guys are like? You guys are like unmarked graves. And people are just, it's like they're just walking past you and it doesn't, you don't matter and they don't matter. It's like you're dead. Jesus is saying, if you really want to come alive, if you really want to figure out whether or not God is real, whether or not all of these things about God are going to apply to you, then you've got to let it take hold in your heart. To be a disciple of Jesus is not to do something because you have to, but to be a disciple of Jesus is to be excited because the love of God compels you. Listen, we don't get in our Bibles because we have to. We don't pray to God because we have to. And if we don't, he will punish us. We don't treat others with the kindness of God that leads people to repentance because we have to. Because if not, God will smite us as the almighty smiter. Jim Carrey line, you'll figure it out later. Movie's probably before your time. Bruce Almighty, thank you. Rather... We get in God's word, we pray to him, we treat others with kindness, we give to those in need, we go all out for God because of what he has done in our hearts. And because what he has done in our hearts compels us and overflows out of us. And if that's not going on for you, you need to ask God to make it happen. Because if you don't, you will walk around and you will just play. And at some point, especially in high school, you will say, listen, this stuff's not working anymore. I'm out. I've seen it time and time again. By the time you're in college, for sure. 
But if you let God get a hold of your heart now, listen, there will be nothing that can stop you from making a difference for him. But more than anything else, there will be nothing that can ever cause you to doubt that his love is in you and that he loves you. If you let him get a hold of your heart, if you don't make it fake, if you don't be a hypocrite about it, but if you follow him with some authenticity and some realness, Jesus was, this issue of giving came up again and Jesus is sitting with the disciples outside of a church and he's watching this whole scene happen. These, these guys are walking around, they're like parading their money. I don't know what this looks like. I've never done it. But I mean, it's like, hello, here I am with my 20. Booyah, you know, that kind of thing. And, and the guy behind him like, yeah, you know, I'm going to show you what I got. And he pulls out, you know, something for real and he smacks it down. I don't know what this looks like, but these guys were just, I mean, they were, they, I mean, they, they were dressed up in their cutie little robes and, you know, they got all their bling going and they bring their money in. It's like, yeah, y'all should be glad I came today. And Jesus is watching this scene. And he sat down opposite the treasury where people were putting money in the offering box. And the scriptures say many people, rich people, were putting in large sums. He says, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins. They make about a penny. And he called his disciples over to him and he said, listen to what I'm saying to you. This poor widow has put more in than all the other morons. Jesus didn't say morons. She's put more in than all those who are contributing to the offering box because they all contributed out of their abundance. It didn't mean anything to them, he's saying. But she gave out of her poverty everything that she had, all that she had to live on. You see, it wasn't the life she was living. It was the way she was living it. It wasn't the gift she was bringing. It was the way she gave it. See, I was raised in church. I know what it's like to play. I, I can play with the best of them. I know more Bible than I will ever need. I could win any trivia contest. Anybody know what a sword drill is? I will cut you right now. I mean, I can, there are all these kinds of things. I grew up in church. I know what it's like to play. I know what it's like to look good. I know what it's like to you know, have, be doing all the right things, following all, following all the regulations, but inside it just hasn't taken hold. So how does it take hold? When you get real, when you don't just talk about reading the Bible or you don't just come here and let others read it to you, but you do it for yourself. When you don't just say to somebody, I'm praying for you. Yeah, right. I hope I remember I said that. But when you actually do it, when you put a prayer out before God and you see him actually answer it, even though when you're praying it, you're thinking, it's so stupid that I'm praying for this right now. God, I don't think you can do this. And then he does. Then it becomes real. And when you find somebody around you that needs you, that doesn't have something that you've got, it might be your friendship. It doesn't have to be money. It might be encouragement. It might just be 
helping them in whatever it is. When you give away something that you've got to somebody that doesn't have it and you put it into practice and you don't tell anybody about it. It's just like you just let it happen and you let God do the rest. Then this all becomes real. Listen, it ignites a fire in you. It's like, this isn't the greatest sermon ever. This is the greatest life ever. I wanted to show you guys something tonight and I gave the guys the video at kind of last minute so it might flicker around here for a little bit. But I met a friend uh, not too long ago, a new friend of mine who started a nonprofit called Heartworks and he was talking about the first time he saw this really come into action for a large, it's a really large youth group. It's probably four times the size out in Colorado Springs. And they did some cool things together. And I wanted you just to see two minutes of it, and then I'm going to come and wrap up. Go ahead, guys. One youth group, $67,000 in eight weeks. There is a line there in the middle. Sometimes my friend Jeremiah was there. He started a nonprofit. You can go look at it if you want, heartworks.tv. It came from this first experience, and we're, I'm hopefully going to bring him to in, and introduce him to you guys later this year. But there is this line there that 
I kind of started with you guys with tonight. I want to remind you of it. He said, for such a day as this, you were born. It's no accident you're in the school that you're in. It's no accident that you live on the street that you live in, live on. The friends that you have, they're not an accident. God put you there to be his messenger, to be his salt, to be his light. For such a day as this, you were born. You were born for the people all around you. You were sent to them. You are the chosen one. However you need to think of this. God puts you there. He wants you to continue his mission of rescuing. Destiny, rescuing, destiny. Your destiny has been changed for many of you because you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You are a part of and on your way to the kingdom of heaven. And you were put where you are right now to rescue the destiny of those around you. And all of you have something to give. All of you have something to give to make it happen. It doesn't have to be money. It doesn't have to be raising money for orphanages or anything like that. But some of you need to get together as maybe as a small group tonight on this new year. Maybe some of you tonight need to say, you know what? All of us together, we go to North Paulding and we are going to rescue some people this year. All of us together, we go to Hillgrove, we go to East, we go to South, we go to Hiram, we go to Harrison, wherever you are. And all of us together, destiny, rescuing destiny, because we were born for this. We're going to encourage each other with this. It's not going to be big fanfare. We're going to let God do his thing. And what Jesus finishes this passage with in Matthew 6, he says, great will be your reward. What's the reward? Some people misread this passage and they say, so if I give money, I get money back. Sorry, no. If I give myself away, my reward is God himself. My reward becomes an awareness that all of this is real, All of this is happening inside me and I'm watching it happen to others too. If you'll put it into practice and stop playing, you'll find something more. Let's pray together. God, tonight, I just want to commit these students to you on this new year. God, I love love a new year. I don't make resolutions, you know that. I love a new year. I love all the possibilities, all the fresh things that you can do, God. And I pray that tonight there would be some students in this room that would get determined about reaching others, that would get determined about giving their lives away, about giving away to others what you have entrusted them with. God, you've, you've entrusted everybody in here, whether they feel like they're rich or poor or whatever the things are they like, you've entrusted all of them with something. You've put all of them around different types of people and all of us together have the potential to reach so many. God, would you use us in that way, not for us, but for you. 
And may you be our reward. And may you, God, be enough. In Jesus' name.